Good morning, Grace Chapel. We all looking forward to that snow flurry this morning? I don't think so. I wasn't. Um, let's see if I can do this one-handed. So, I'm going to read the scripture that Josh's series has been uh, doing for several weeks now. And uh, I'd like Josh to come up. And I'm, I'm going to ask him to stand down here. That way I can put my hand on his shoulder nice and easily. <laughs> instead of raising it above my head. Um, so I want to read the scripture and then I'm going to pray for Josh and the congregation. So, Oh, by the way, my name is Tom Blakelock. For any of those who don't know me and I'm an elder of this church. And uh, so we look forward to... Uh, sharing with you and, and having you here today. Anyone that's new, um, please introduce yourself to someone, one of us. So let's read Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word. Um, Father, we thank you for Jesus. <clears throat> and I just lift up Josh to you today, Father God. I pray that you would anoint him in a way that um, your word uh, would ring through his voice and that you would touch each one of us with the words that we need to hear, that we need to feel. Um, we need to feel your presence, Father God. Um, we just ask, Father, that you would uh, teach us uh, through this sermon today and give us um, courage. Um, <clears throat> Jesus spoke to his disciples. And um, as he's speaking to us today through Josh, he calls us to be disciples. So we just pray, Father God, that we would be courageous um, and that we would open our mouths and teach as we go forth in our lives uh, each day. Uh, we just ask for your blessings on the service today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. What an introduction, right? Thank you, Tom. Uh, I am so excited to be here this morning, and it's a... Uh, 
a little cold, a little blistery, but, but it's okay, because uh, it's going to get warmer. I believe it. So um, we've been going through this series, uh, Good, Good Father, and it's been amazing. It's been a ton of fun. And, and unfortunately, we only have one more week after this week left. So we have this Sunday, and then we have next Sunday. But I wanted to bring your attention to something that we're doing the Sunday after that. So two weeks from today, we're going to be having what's called a celebration Sunday. And what that is, is that is a time to praise God. It's a time to worship God. It's a time to to thank him for what he's done in our lives. And so I would come, if I were you, first of all, I would just come. Second of all, I would come with a couple stories. And what we do during the service is we have a couple, we have an open sharing time, and that's a time for you to say, you know what, I've seen God do this thing in my life, and I want to thank him for that. And the whole church can hear that and thank God for the victory and, the, and all the wonderful things that he does in our life. So come to that. It's going to be a great time. Um, however, this week we are looking at Jesus' next statement. And, and Tom, or Tom mentioned it, uh, Sermon on the Mount is what we're looking at through the Beatitudes. Jesus is instructing his disciples and the crowds and then us as far as how to live a blessed life. Um, and if you caught the phrase, we'll be focusing today um, on uh, peacemaking. So it's found uh, in chapter 5, verse 9 is our focus verse. It goes like this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God, for they will be called children of God. So we could talk about peace this morning, and that's pretty exciting. That's pretty fun. I'm excited about that. So I don't think I need to describe to you what peace looks like, believe it or not. I think we have a, a peace barometer deep inside us, and we all know all too well what peace doesn't look like, don't we? We have a really good idea of what peace doesn't look like. I don't need to describe it. I don't need to go into gory detail about what happens when peace isn't present. In fact, that's a pretty easy thing to discover. You just turn on the TV, right? You just download a news app, spend 2.2 seconds on Facebook, and you will be confronted with the antithesis of peace. So take that information and do the opposite, and that's peace, right? Or, or you could just talk to a neighbor, talk to a coworker, anybody about the state of our world, our government, our schools, our borders, our cities. The list goes on and on and on. And it seems as though uh, the, the news today brings bad news all the time. It's very rare do you see a good uh, news story these, these days, which is sad. But today we get to focus on peace. The interesting thing about peace and the antithesis of peace is we know that there is a spiritual battle afoot. We know from Scripture, from the Bible, from the books of the Bible, that there is an enemy, and he is stirring up trouble for us, the believers. Um, Thomas Watson, a Puritan from the 17th century, said this, Satan kindles the fire of contention in men's hearts and then stands and warms himself at the fire. Wow, doesn't that speak volumes? Our enemy is stirring up contention within us, and that contention pleases him. It's really interesting. And this is, believe it or not, what you get when you flex your peace muscle. And, and you, you might say, well, Josh, what do you mean by that? You know, I thought we were supposed to be peacemakers. When we really try hard to do all the peace things ourselves, we end up weaponizing peace. Yeah, it's a thing. You can weaponize peace. We try to conjure peace. We get, well, politics, right? We get our politics. And there's not a lot of peace there, especially right now. You know, this isn't unlike what was happening in the first century. 
This is nothing new. The enemy has been up to his tricks for, since the beginning of time, at least since the fall. And, and it's always the same thing. You get really excited about something and you try to do it really, really well. And it turns so, you turn so passionate about it, you end up hurting people in the process. And there's this um, first century Pharisee who was incredibly passionate. He was incredibly zealous. He had a pure desire and love for God. And he would do anything to serve that God. And so first century, as the scene unfolds, as Jesus' ministry unfolds, this young man starts to understand his role or what he thought his role in all of this was. And so after Jesus passed and, and rose from the grave and, and ascended to heaven and the disciples of Jesus are out um, doing all these things in ministry, this young Pharisee said, you know what, I have the solution. I'm going to force peace. I'm going to make it happen. So this Pharisee goes to the chief priests, um, the religious rulers of the time, and he said, listen, I've got an idea, and that idea will produce peace for our, spirit, our nation, the nation of Israel. Give me a, a, a shiny tin star, and I'll go round up all these troublemakers, and we'll have peace. You might have guessed it. This Pharisee's name was Saul. And Saul had a passion and a zeal for God. And he loved God's peace more than anything. But he forgot an important component. Missed an important peace. He had rep weaponized his religion and in the name of peace he was destroying people that stepped out of line. And he was so excited about the, the journey that he was on and the God he was serving, he forgot to turn and look at the wake of destruction behind him. And you could read about this story in Acts chapter 9. Um, Saul went to the chief beast, as I mentioned. He got the, the, the tin star he needed, and he was on his way to Damascus. He's on his way to Damascus, full of zeal and passion. But he met someone on the way, and that someone was Jesus. And Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you hurting me, the author of peace? And Saul, in that moment, became Paul. And that is who the apostle Paul was. A passionate zealot that realized peace is not possible without the intricate peace. Without an intricate part. You see, peace isn't possible without peace. <laughs> you can't force peace. That's called domination. <laughs> the Romans were really good at it. Oh, they'd have their peace after you were killed. It's crazy to think about that Christian crusaders could force non-believers through a river at sore point, baptizing them. That's what human peace looks like. And if you step out of line, you get your head taken off. It's like saying, I'm going to work really, really hard and get the humility award, and then everyone will know that I'm humble, right? You probably should take a look at what that word humility really means. You take a look at what the word peace really means. You could spend your whole life trying to be a peacemaker, and I know people that do, and they never reach it. They never find it. They're never able to achieve it. Searching for peace does not produce peace. Thinking that just because you are a Christian does not make you a peacemaker. And I think this is Jesus' point this morning. 
Jesus, in his wisdom, knew we would struggle with this. So this is what he said. In John 14, verse 27, Jesus says to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And Jesus says we will have tr- peace, but he also says we'll have trouble. So how in the world do those two things coincide? Later in that chapter, in chapter 16 of John, Gospel of John, Jesus says again, I have told you these things that so you may have peace. So don't be afraid because I have overcome the world. And this was before he actually was crucified and rose again. He had already conquered the world. Did you notice that, that Jesus uses peace and trouble in the same thought? There's something going on there. Peace is not circumstantial. <gasps> what, what peace isn't circumstantial? It's not circumstantial. It's not everything going our way. That's what, Paul, that's what Paul, Saul thought before he became Paul. But we know that Jesus' words can give us peace, and Jesus has overcome the world. There's the comfort point. That's the positive side of the, the situation that we find ourselves in. Since Jesus is the source of peace, connection with him is the best way to find peace. And if I sound like a broken record, I'm doing something right. Jesus is our source of peace. It's not what we force ourselves to do or think. The first statement in your bulletin is this. To be peacemakers, we have to pray for peace. That's the first step. That's the first step of peace. In order to be who he wants us to be, to be who the Father is grooming us to be, to reflect the Father of peace, to act like children of the Father, to follow Jesus' lead, we must pray for peace. There's a couple things that happen when we pray. A couple things that happen, and and maybe one thing that you don't think about a lot when you pray, because you're probably praying for an outcome. You want, you're you're praying for something to happen. Lord, I I ask that I could get that promotion. Jesus, help me and my wife work out this struggle. Lord, I'm I'm, I'm scared about my son on the school bus. Whatever the prayer is, you're, you're thinking about the outcome of the prayer, but something's going on when you pray. And over time, the more you come to your heavenly good father, and sit at his feet and talk to him, this amazing thing happens. You start thinking like him. And you start seeing the things that he says, or he sees. And you start understanding the things that break his heart, and the things that make his heart happy. And you might be praying for an outcome, and Jesus tells us to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's also this other thing that's going on when we pray. Another a quick little note on prayer. I've talked to a couple people recently about this, and, and it, sure enough, it bothers them too. It bothers me when we say things like, the only thing left to do is pray. Right? Or, I can't do anything about that, so I'll just pray about it. It's like a last resort, right? And I think that this, as a culture, we, we struggle with the faith that prayer works, that it does things both in our hearts and the outcomes that we ask for. Prayer is powerful, and it should be our first reaction. 
When your boss says something that just doesn't sit well, your instinct should be to pray. When that coworker starts a rumor about you that's just not true, <laughs> we should pray. When you get into an argument with your spouse, you should be praying. When somebody says something uncomfortable to you, the instinct should be prayer. Let's pray first and then react second. And I wonder what would happen in our lives if we did that. The half-brother of, Je of Jesus, James, says this in his letter to the church. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I think it's time we believe that. That's James 5.16. Paul says in his letter to the Thessalonians, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He's saying it's God's will for us to pray. And then to the letter to the Ephesians, Paul also writes, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with, every, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. This is like a, like a no-brainer, no-negotiation. Prayer should be our instincts. It should be developed inside of us. And I could go on and on and on about how important prayer is. So we have this goal this morning of to, to be peacemakers. But if you start thinking about what peace really is and who the author of peace is, we need to unite to the creator of peace before we're to be considered peacemakers. Prayer is something that should be in the forefront of our mind, but we should also understand what we're trying to accomplish. Just like James said in the first chapter of his letter, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And this is why I love preaching about prayer. Because it's real practical. <laughs> it's real practical. You can literally have a conversation with Jesus as I'm talking to you. And you're probably, you know, drifting anyway, so why not talk to Jesus about it? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. This whole idea of peacemaking. I think a lot of Christians, and, and I have fallen into this trap in the past as well, you think that, well, because I receive Christ and I'm a child of God and I'm going to heaven one day and everything is good, I'm good there, so I must be a peacemaker. And we forget to turn behind us and look at the path of destruction that we're leaving. Because being a peacemaker takes connecting with Jesus over and over and over and over and uniting to him. And then out of that relationship flows this peace. If we're going to be peacemakers, praying and hoping and desiring peace is, is a good start. But you have to take the next step. The next step in this peacemaking equation Peace is not just a state of mind. It is something that, we must come, that must come out of us. If unity with Christ is the only way we can have peace, then how will those around us have peace? The second statement is this. To be peacemakers, we have to speak peace. And this is so interesting. This is how God works. He impacts one person. And he deeply impacts that person. And out of that one person flows that impact to those around them. To be peacemakers, we have to speak peace. 
after we've prayed that Jesus' Jesus' peace fill our hearts, we still have a choice to make. Will I still come up with my own peace to give to someone, or will I reflect Jesus' peace to that someone? And here's where um, we, we can really go off the rails quickly. So I love credit. I'm sure everybody loves credit. The temptation is to take that credit. Listen, I found peace, and his name is Jesus, and he's amazing. He's turned my life inside out, and I love him, and it's wonderful, and I have this great relationship with him. If you want that, you should do all these rules that I make a list of. <laughs> no, 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 no. If you want that, you, you go get it. He's standing right here and he's asking you to come and to partake in the peace that he has. You see, the secret to speaking peace is speaking Jesus. I know, you think I'm Aaron Batke, don't you? <laughs> That's something Aaron would say, right? That man speaks Jesus. In order to speak peace, you have to speak Jesus. He's the author of peace. He's the source of peace. He's the creator of peace. And apart from him, peace does not exist. And that's true. So you have to resist the temptation of taking the credit for the peace that you found, or maybe the peace that you found in a time of your life. You can't take credit for that. That's Jesus' credit. And that's the secret to the people around you finding that peace. You might be saying, okay, if I'm, if I'm supposed to pray for peace and connect with Jesus and I'm supposed to uh, speak peace, what does peace sound like? Have you wondered that? What does it sound like? In my ears, what does it sound like? As it turns out, there's a verse for that. <laughs> and it just so happens to be our theme verse for the year that we've talked about for a couple of weeks now. Colossians 2, 12 through 14, sounds like peace. Here it is. Therefore, Paul writes, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. That's what peace sounds like. When you're praying for peace, and you think you might be speaking peace, what does that peace sound like? It sounds like words of compassion, and kindness, and humility, and gentleness, and patience. And it sounds like forgiveness. That's what peace sounds like. And by the way, since we're on the topic of speaking, I just want to say this. This could be like a whole other sermon, but I'll just say it quickly. What you say to yourself is really important. And you might wave me off and go, oh, come on, that's like a bunch of psychology garbage. You know, really, we just need to care about those around us. We don't really need to care about ourselves. But it matters. And here's why what you say to yourself matters. Because you will end up believing yourself. And it's true in so many people's lives that I talk to. If you tell yourself that you're worthless, if you tell yourself that you're an idiot, that you're the one that makes all the mistakes, why would you get that promotion? Why would you get that whatever? Because you're an idiot? The problem with that language is that it starts to sink into your heart. And you start to believe it. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's important what you say, and it's important to 
who you say it to. Speaking peace includes what you say to yourself. And let's just take a second and think about if we did this, what would happen? If we did this, what would happen? If we speak these things to ourselves and to others, this is what will happen. We will be seen as children of God. And there's not a person on the planet that doesn't at least want to see what that looks like. They might disagree, may not be their opinion, they may disagree with how we got there, but if we are children of God and we are seen that way, people will take notice. People will take notice. How we treat ourselves and how we treat others is really, really important. And if, and if we do this, we will be able to show God's love. I think a lot of us get in our heads that, like, in order to show God's love, we have to be missional. And we got to be really, you know, focused on overseas missions and all these things that are good, that are good to think about. But the number one way that we can show people God's love is how I treat you and how you treat me. And Jesus even says it. He says it about a hundred different ways, but in John 13, 35, he says it this way to his disciples. Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And they're like, you know, sitting on the edge of their seats like, what? what? How are they going to know? If, if we die for you, Lord, if we, if we do all the right things, if we start all the right churches, if, we, if our churches are really, really big, what is it? What is going to show the world that we love you? And he says, if you love one another. That's how important it is that we speak peace to one another. Jesus says the world is going to see that you're my disciples. It's not about your degree. It's not about how much information you can put in your head. It's not about having all the right answers. In fact, a lot of times it's about being honest about not having all the right answers. It's about how we treat each other. That's speaking peace. So how do you love one another? We speak peace. How do you speak peace to one another? By praying for Jesus' peace. And how do we know if we're doing it? We can read about it. We can understand that we need to pray for it because the author of peace is Jesus and we need to connect with him. But how do we know that we're doing it? Our words will be compassionate. They'll be kind. They'll be humble. They'll be gentle. They'll be patient. They'll be patient and they will be filled with forgiveness. It's a really good way to know if you're speaking peace. Just take a listen to the words. So, on to the next statement. Once we've settled on praying for peace and speaking peace, secondly, it's only natural for it to come out of us with our actions. The third statement is, to be peacemakers, we have to act in peace. And you might say, well, that's really similar to speaking. What do you mean? How we act comes out of what we say. Okay? How we act comes out of what we say. And what we say comes out of what we pray. And I did not mean to rhyme. I swear to you. I swear to you. I heard that this morning and I went, that's nah, going to come back. How we act comes out of what we say. And how what we say comes out of what we pray. Our tendency is to act out of justice. And here's where action really comes in. We need to think about this. Typically, our response to a situation is just in our eyes. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. Whether you will do it or not, your instinct is, I want to cut them off, right? I want justice. 
I want the thing that happened to me to be done to that person. And we all have this flavor, this understanding of justice, our own unique perspective on what just is in the situation. So, so this is our tendency. You treat me poorly, you get, as far as action goes, from me what is just. So I'm going to treat you poorly. We justify our actions by what we deem appropriate. Okay? So it's easy, really easy to go down this path. And you guys can all imagine where that path leads. This is why it's so satisfying to see somebody get pulled over. I, I, just yesterday, I was actually here, um, and there was a, a state trooper in the parking lot, so I always say, please stay as long as you can here in this parking lot. We want you here. So I went over and shook her hand and introduced myself, and, and she's like, yeah, I'm just here because the, the speed limit just dropped out there on the road. And I was like, oh, and I, and I actually kind of waited just to see. There is this part of me that loves to see get people pulled over. I'm so sorry, because it, I feel like it's just, right? It's just, it's like, oh, you were speeding, you're breaking the law, you get pulled over. That's a, that's a just equation. But never mind how fast I drive on the road or how fast you drive on the road. Let's not talk about that. It's the, always the other person. It's what's appropriate. We always tailor our response based on what we think is just. And, and we'll fight this our whole lives. This is just part of our DNA, right? But what if we flipped it? What if we flipped the response on its ear. What if we responded not based on what we thought was just, but we responded based on the, the six criteria of Colossians 2? Our actions would reflect our prayer and our speech. Our actions would reflect Paul's desire for us. And the only way I know how to curb this instinct in me, you guessed it, prayer. Because the instinct is strong within me. If we did this, if we take that justice instinct away and we put in the six characteristics in Colossians 2, people would see. Maybe your, maybe your spouse would see first or your close friends or, 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 your, or your siblings or your, or your kids. They would see it, especially when they do something to you that was unjust and the response that you return to them is grace. Is forgiveness, is gentleness, is compassion. And people would see this all the time. Think of how fast your boss would notice this, your coworkers would notice this. And soon you would be known as this person that, that doesn't just flip justice back, but has this other response. It would change a lot of things, and it would change a lot of relationships. It would give new meaning to the phrase, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. This is the whole reason why he wrote that, why God wanted us to know that. It's because he wants us to take the, the vengeance justice gene and we just need to set it over here. It's okay, God's going to deal with that. Because what was done to me was unjust and it's okay for me to know that. So I'm going to put the response over here and I'm going to hotwire these new responses in. And that's because I'm praying constantly and I'm speaking peace. And it just comes out of me. If you come up, if you, if you go with me on this, and if you're here, if you're, if you're right here with me, if you have agreed this far, you'll agree to the last statement. Statement number four. To be peacemakers, we must submit to Jesus' peace. We can't conjure it. We can't make it up. We can't control it. We can't divvy it out. 
We can't tell people how to do it other than pointing to Jesus. We have to submit to Jesus' peace. And the Father is, the good Father is a peacemaker. That's our family that we've inherited or that we've been adopted into. So we should be like Daddy. And I think that's always a good uh, frame of, of mind, a, fr- a reference. It's, you know, I need to be like Jesus. I need to be like Jesus. I need to be like Jesus. But for me, I don't know about you, but for me, that seems a little shallow. Like, okay, great, we get it. We're supposed to be like Jesus. But why? What is he doing? Why is God the way God is? Why is God a peacemaker? It goes deeper. It goes deeper, even though it's true that we should be like our father, it goes deeper than that. The good father is a peacemaker for a reason. And he's not just a quirky little characteristic of our heavenly father. There's a reason why he's this way. And he is not just this way. He sacrificed a lot to be this way. I see, our father has sacrificed his only son in order to make peace with us. Peace that we don't deserve. So it's unjust in a way. Actually, the sacrifice makes it just. He sacrificed much to be a peacemaker. You see, God's mission is redemption. And we, his sons and daughters, have that redemptive mission in us. And our mission is not survival, although it may seem like that because it seems like churches are dying all over the place. It's not comfort, although my comfort gene always keeps creeping in. It's not entertainment, Maybe I should have told some more jokes. It's not success. That's not the mission. That's not what we're called to. The Father's mission is that the world would know God loves them and that he loved them through Jesus. And that's the mission. Our actions reflect our words and our words reflect our prayer. So one last time. To be peacemakers, we must submit to Jesus' peace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity we have to look at your words that you spoke so many years ago. God, thank you for being the God that was here, that walked among us, that was Emmanuel. And Lord, thank you that you moved in these disciples' hearts to record what they saw and what they heard. Lord, thank you for eyewitness accounts of your mercy and your love and your sacrifice and your teaching. And Jesus, I ask that as we ponder these words this morning, as we think about what it means to be a peacemaker, what it means to be your child, your children of a good father, God, I ask that you would move in us and that you would would even conjure up desire in us to be united if we're struggling even with that, that we would be united to you in prayer that we would hone our instincts to pray first and act second. And Lord, that out of that prayer, we would be able to speak peace to those around us so that they might know your love. And from those words, Lord, we ask that action flows out of us. That this action would be based on what you say is peace. Lord Jesus, help us to understand that submission to you and your peace is the only way that peace will be found. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for being the great peacemaker. Teach us and show us how to do this. In your name, amen.